0: You're listening to episode 54 of the Journey to Launch podcast, exploring the idea of mini retirements so that you can live your best life now.
1: T minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast
0: with your host Jamila Souffrant, as a money expert who walks her talk. She helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in in five,
1: four, three, two, one.
0: Hey, 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 Journeyers. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. This is episode 54. I'm excited about today's episode as I am about every episode. But that's because we're gonna be talking about a different way to look at your working years, your retirement, and that's because I have Carl Seidman on the podcast as a guest. Now you'll hear how I first found out about Carl in the beginning of our interview, but just as a quick aside, I saw a TEDx talk that Carl did, Why I Retired at 32, and I was so just enamored by the concept of what he talked about, taking intermittent retirements. And so I wanted to bring him on the podcast to talk more about that. So a little bit about Carl. Carl is a trusted and disciplined advisor specializing in financial strategy and business transformation. He's dedicated his career to guiding healthy companies through strategic growth and aiding stagnant, underperforming, and distressed companies through turnaround or revitalization. He applies a similar approach to helping individuals achieve their ideas of success. And this is why I wanted Carl on the podcast, because while he directly deals with businesses as a consultant and does that through his business, his idea of how he's working, how he's crafting and set up his work in general, so these intermittent retirements and what they mean, I just thought it was just a brilliant way to look at things. And it's interesting because Carl, when we spoke and you hear about it, he's not really in the fire community. That was something he really was learning more about as we spoke about it on the podcast. And he was aware of the Mr. Money mustache, but he really wasn't in the community. So his idea of working intermittently, like working and then taking a break and then working again and taking a break was a little bit different than how the typical person in the fire community thinks in terms of we or they here think about working maybe 10, 15 years, then retiring early, and then taking your retirement. Whereas Carl's looking at it as a way of you work a few years, you take a break, work a few years, take a break. So we're going to talk about how he did that. We're also going to talk about his overall background and story, the concept of mini retirement. So how he did it, how he advises other people to think about it in their lives We'll talk about a few of his blog posts that I thought were really interested, like, does a college degree matter? We talk about the Mexican fisherman story, so you hear about that, and we'll talk about how to fund mini-retirement. So that was a big thing, a question I had is, okay, we all want to stop working, take some breaks, how do we do that? How do we fund this lifestyle, but then still take care of the long-term retirement? And so much, so much more. So I'm really excited to talk to call to get into this conversation. But before we do, thank you again for coming, listening. If you're a returning listener, welcome back, new listener. Hey, what's up? Hope you stick around. If you are enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to share this with your family and friends. Text them, send them a message on Facebook, post it on your Facebook, post it on your Instagram, your Twitter, saying that you enjoyed the episode, you enjoyed the podcast. Get more people to listen to it, to hear more about it. I'd really appreciate it. Also, if you do listen to this in Apple Podcasts, you can rate, review, or subscribe. That will help with the ranking and just overall discoverability of the podcast. And don't forget to leave that review. I read every single feedback that you send me, whether that's a DM, or a message or just a post that you do on social media. I read every one of them and I appreciate it. If you want the episode show notes for this, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 54. Don't forget, you can always join the Facebook community at journeytolaunch.com slash community or go to Facebook and type in Journey to Launch. You'll see my Facebook page and then you can join the group from there. Okay, so let's hop into this conversation with Carl. Hey, Journeyers. I'm so excited to have Carl Seidman on the podcast. Hi, Carl. Hi, Jamila. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Good. And just a little background. So I saw your TEDx talk about why you retired at 32. Mm -hmm. And I was so impressed. And everything you said in that talk, I related to And it really just resonated with me. And I thought, oh my gosh, my audience needs to hear from this guy. So I looked you up, found you (laughs) and invited you here. So thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: No problem. I appreciate the invitation.
0: So we're gonna hop into your whole journey, your story. You talk about taking many retirements. Mm -hmm. So throughout a course of a lifetime, and you talked about that in your TEDx talk, which we'll get into, but can you just tell my listeners a little bit more about yourself before we get into this hot topic?
1: Sure. As you mentioned, my name is Carl Seidman. I am currently in 2018. I am 37 years old. I'll be 38 in just a couple of months. I started my career in consulting, and today I have a wife. I've got twin boys. Uh, I live in Chicago, and I spend my time doing a mix of management consulting, what I would call CFO coaching or executive coaching. And then also a mix of corporate training as well. So I work with Fortune 1000 companies and help them improve their financial practices.
0: Mm -hmm. And you have an interesting story to me, at least, because you talked about in your TEDx retiring at 32 years old and you frame it as your first retirement. Can you go into that concept
1: sure so the reason i called it my first retirement instead of the retirement is i feel like in a traditional sense a lot of people have this perspective that retirement happens at the end of one's lifetime maybe when they reach their early mid late 60s maybe early 70s and it's really kind of a permanent departure from the workforce they have worked their entire lives they've saved up enough money hopefully they have a pension or a 401k and the objective is to get to this age where you have enough savings and investments to retire and last you throughout the rest of your life. Also, if you're lucky, maybe you're able to reach the, the end of your life and have some leftover that you can pass on to your children or your grandchildren. Now, the reason that I called this my first retirement was while I still anticipate one day having that kind of ultimate retirement. I do believe that it's important to take kind of interim leaves of absence or kind of mini retirements throughout life to be able to, and as I had said in my TEDx talk, refresh, reinvent your life and your career, and perhaps pit it in different ways. I think that the idea of identifying what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 18 years old, I just don't think that it's realistic as much as it was maybe decades ago. When I speak with university students, they look at me and they say, maybe maybe I know what I want to do for the next three or five years of my life, but for the next 30, I have no idea. So in order to enjoy your life and to refresh and revitalize and reinvent yourself, I think that this concept of interim retirements is very important. There's one other point that I wanted to raise, and this actually pertains to the unsustainability of the traditional retirement model. So a lot of people would say, oh, I'm going to retire when I'm, say, 65 or 70 years old, and I'm going to have enough savings and benefits to retire and have that last until I'm, I'm deceased. But the reality is that people are living a lot longer. So oftentimes, people may seek to retire at 65 and retire for 20 or 30 years the way that they've retired in the past is they've had savings, they've had investments, maybe they've had a pension, maybe a 401k and social security. But as we probably all know, those of you listening to this podcast is pensions are going away. Social security is less sustainable. So the reality of being able to have a 20 or 30 year retirement, it's just not a reality. And that's why I think that taking interim retirements is far more sustainable.
0: Okay. How do you define your mini retirements? Is, is there a set amount of time or is it that you take off that you devote to being quote unquote retired? And can you define more what retirement means to you through these breaks? Is it that you're not working or you are leisurely working on your own business?
1: I think it really could be anything. I think that there are a lot of people in American society who have what I might call the typical nine-to-five or W-2 job where they're working for an employer, they're getting a paycheck every other week, they get maybe two to four weeks of vacation from that employer, and they're expected to really just take those vacations as the time off. Now, for me personally, something that I always wanted to do was I wanted to learn, I wanted to travel, I wanted to start my own business. And Working in the evenings to make that happen outside of my job or taking long on weekend vacations, it just wasn't really what I had envisioned. Also, you know, if I wanted to go back to school or to retrain, I wouldn't be able to do so without quitting my job. And so I came up with this kind of first retirement philosophy of saying, well, if I wanted to recalibrate or travel or take classes or start a business, I would probably need I don't know, three months, six months, 12 months in order to do so. And that model just doesn't fit with most nine to five or W 2 jobs. So, to answer your question, what period of time does it cover? I think it really depends on the person and on the circumstances. I think it could be a couple of months. I think it could be a couple of years. Um, but the idea to me is it's not indefinite. It's not, I'm leaving the workforce because. I have now enough savings and benefits to retire and never work again. It's really an interim leave to use it in a productive way.
0: Mm -hmm. And we were, before we press record on this, we were talking about the FIRE community, the financially independent Mm -hmm. retire early community. And you had said that for you, this was more of a newer concept, which I actually think is pretty interesting because part of what you talk about and the goal of the fire community is the same thing it's freedom. It's freedom from working in a job that is not aligned with you, your goals, your life's mission per se, mm-hmm. and finding a way to step away from that and do something different and not wait until your standard retirement age of 65 or older. So I find it um, interesting because in the fire community, more likely we're talking about working maybe 10 to 20 years to be able to retire early. But within that community, there are also people who do things differently. So for example, there's something called FU money. It is what it sounds like. You're saving or you're investing enough to where you can step away from a situation that's not serving you. So forever amount of time that is that you've saved up, you're able to do that. So I'm wondering kind of your concept of the mini retirements in terms of You have to save, right? You have to save or create a lifestyle that can fund this kind of break. Sure. So, is it similar to where you're working maybe a set period of time, you're saving up enough money for that break, and then you're coming back to make more money? Like, explain the financial part of it.
1: Sure. I think there's some similarities, some parallels here, but I also think that it's quite different. In order to retire indefinitely at a young age, say 10 to 20 years in, there are two ways to do that. You either have an extraordinary amount of income coming in, or you minimize your expenses because ultimately that's net income and rolled over year after year after year is savings. And so in order to accelerate that, it would either require that you make a ton of money in a very short amount of time or live extremely frugally in order to make sure that your lifestyle is so simplistic and that you can, some, can accumulate enough money. For me, the significant difference is I don't think that it needs to be a rush or an aggressive move to make as much as you possibly can or save as much as possible in the shortest amount of time. I don't think that the money aspect is really the goal. My personal story, I did it after about eight years, and I did not have a huge amount of abundance to say that, oh, I can retire indefinitely. But I did have an abundance to say, well, you know what, I could probably take a year or two off if I wanted to do it. And in this time, I'm not going to kick back and do nothing. I'm actually going to use this time to travel, to reskill, to market, to expand my network so that when I return into the workforce, I can pick up either from where I left off or hit the ground running. So it was ultimately a decision to say, here is a hiatus or a gap in my work that I'm going to bridge. And the bridge starts from developing skills, developing experience, saving enough money, and getting my income up to a level that when I want to reach the other end of the bridge, I start back and, and I'm good to go. So I do think that that's kind of the big difference between my philosophy and perhaps the fire community's philosophy.
0: Almost like a gap year, maybe when someone graduates from college, right? Like you continually take these gap years Mm -hmm. to improve your skill set, to redefine what matters to you and your life mission. Mm -hmm. So then, how does one, like someone listening to this podcast, right? They're interested. They're like, you know what? I kind of like Carl's way of things a little bit better, or it seems more doable for me. How do they then now plan to start thinking about taking this gap year? They're working in a job maybe they don't like, or they're just not happy with. What do they do next in terms of thinking about this?
1: Yeah, I actually get that question a fair amount. When I meet with companies or individuals, they see my story. How can I do something like that? And to them, my response is often the same. I I give everybody pretty much the same answer. When I started my career, I started off in consulting. And in consulting, it is kind of the fast track to learning as much about business and, and companies and different industries as you possibly could. I probably gained more experience in, I would say, eight short years than many people would probably in 20-plus years being in traditional corporate environments. And what I explain to the people who ask me the questions, I say, if you can learn and if you can develop skills that are highly marketable and highly transferable and at the same time develop your network, that will provide so much current and future value to you, you have no idea. So my personal story, when I left after eight years, I did some traveling, I did some recalibrating and uh, took some classes and started putting together the guts of my now business. But what I was able to do is I had a thick enough network at the end of that hiatus, and I had enough skills that, that they were extremely marketable upon my return. The challenge that I think a lot of people get themselves into is they say, you know, I've worked in this environment, in this company for a long time, and I have this really specific set of skills, and it's really only applicable to this industry or to this company. And while that might seem to be very valuable at the time, I think we can sometimes get ourselves in trouble of not being marketable, of not having skills that are transferable. So my advice to people, if, if, if this is a path that you want to take, is to build that network, build that set of skills that are very much in demand and that moves with the market regardless of whether we are in a a prosperous time or in a recession. And that's where I look at a lot of my skills. A lot of my skills can be extremely transferable across industries, across the globe, and really year by year.
0: And that was actually going to be part of my follow-up question is, do you think that this lifestyle is more attainable for people in certain industries versus someone maybe like a teacher? I mean, even though teachers do get sabbaticals, I believe they have that time here and there. But what's your thoughts around that? I think that it would be
1: unfair for me to say that it's perhaps easier for some industries than others. There are certain jobs where somebody could probably work in shorts and a t-shirt from anywhere in the world as long as they have Wi-Fi. If they're a computer software developer, engineer, somebody that's doing things that are digital, I think it's a lot easier to do that. But one of the challenges that I think a lot of people have is they say, well, I have this W-2 job. I have this nine to five. I don't have the time to be able to build my skills. I do look at the time that people have in the evenings and on the weekends and during summer vacation as a perfect opportunity to read and connect and take online classes and volunteer And start laying the groundwork for the future life that you want to have. You don't have to be a 100% expert in what you're about to go into, but you do have to be good enough to at least be able to make the connections and do some productive work. One of the suggestions I have for lots of people who say, I want to go into consulting or I want to go into business coaching or I want to go into training or I want to go into a new business is I say, look, do some pro bono work. Find a not-for-profit that can benefit from your skills offer it to them for either cheap or free, and then use that as a testimonial to build it into working clients, paying clients somewhere else. To kind of go back to your original question, do I think it's easier in some industries? Unfortunately, yes, I do. But I don't think that it means that it's the end of the road for other people.
0: Right. It's not impossible if you can start to develop and broaden your skill set. Okay. So what are you retiring from, I should say? So you have your consulting business and you do your mini retirement. So within that mini retirement, you are bringing in active income? Yes, I am. Okay.
1: To elaborate a little bit more, a lot of people think about the ultimate retirement. They say, I'm gonna retire in my 60s, and I'm gonna buy a vacation home, and I'm gonna play golf every day. Well, who's to say that you can't work part-time? Who's to say you can't be making 25,000, 50,000, 75,000, maybe six figures and above while you're retired? I mean, you could be working 10 hours, 20 hours a week and really still live the retirement life. So for me in my mini retirement, even though I was in South America, I was in Southeast Asia, I was in Chicago, and I had arguably to some people a very leisurely life, I was still working a fair amount. But to me, it really didn't seem like work and it was completely flexible.
0: And I think that is actually, that aligns really well with the FIRE community because oftentimes, you know, people are talking about, okay, I want to reach early retirement And it's not that most of the people who do reach that, from what I see online at least, is that they don't stop working. For example, my ideal is when I reach financial independence, it's not to just go lay on the beach all day, every day. It's to still to bring life and work into this world, but things that I enjoy. So it's more in your own time, what you like doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I completely echo that. One of the challenges I think that we see in States with W2 type jobs is there's an expectation you're going to be working 45, 50 plus hours a week. And so it, it often doesn't leave much time to do those other interests, build the business, explore your hobbies that might result in that next chapter. And so that's why I think these many retirements are so important, is if you can take three, six, nine, twelve 12 plus months to say, okay, I'm going to take this time. I'm going to relax. I'm going to do the things I enjoy doing, but I'm going to be extremely productive and lay out the groundwork for my next chapter uh, that I might not be able to do if I was working 45, 50 plus hours a week.
0: Right. And then on top of that, you mentioned you're married, you have kids. When you layer on mm-hmm. extra responsibilities and there's things you do after work, it's even less time that you have devoted to yourself. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, when my boys were born, very quick realization is I said, wow, I really don't have a whole lot of free time anymore, even though I work for myself. I just don't have a whole lot of free time because they're waking up all the time. They have to be fed. They have to take care. I have twin boys, so they have to be taken care of all the time. And even with my wife, us doing this as a team, it's still very difficult. Layer on a full-time job, I mean, forget about it. So the, the concept of, of being able to take some time off, not indefinite but some in order to get the work done that you need to do for the next chapter, I think is so important.-hmm
0: Now do you think it takes a certain type of person who is a risk taker to be able to do that? because I'm thinking as you're talking, and I would think that a lot of people like this sounds amazing to be able to do, but if they do have kids or mortgage, they might think this is a safe job that I can continue to get money. And what if I t- take a break and I don't have a job when I get back? So do you think it takes a certain level of confidence and thinking to be able to take that leap?
1: Yes, <laughs> 100%, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Obviously, yes.
1: <laughs> you know, what was kind of funny to me, I mean, it seemed funny at the time, but now I realize it's, it's just kind of part of our culture is when I left my old, old job, I'm trying to even think when this was, it was probably six years ago, People, I thought, were going to look at me like you're absolutely crazy. Why are you doing this? You know, you must be just super wealthy, be making tons of money. And I'm like, you know, I'm I'm doing well, but I don't have enough to retire indefinitely. So it's kind of an interim leave. And um, a lot of people came to me and kind of secretly said, you know, I, I really wish I could do what you're doing, but I just don't have the guts. I don't have the courage to do it. I remember in the run up to my TED talk, I was sitting across the table from a professor at the Illinois Institute of Technology, which is where the TEDx talk was. And he said, I really admire what you did. Why do you think more people don't? And I said, well, I think a lot of people aren't planning for it. I think they're maybe planning for their ultimate retirement, but then saying, well, I'm going to be in this job forever. And because I'm in this job, I can't take these interim leaves, and I have all these responsibilities. But what I said to him is I said, I actually think at least 50% of it is mindset. I think that it's a fear of the unknown. It's a fear in not knowing if when you take the leap, if there's going to be something soft for you to land on the other side. And I also think it's perhaps just not 100% confidence in your ability to make it work. For me, I asked myself the question, I said, you know, what would be the worst thing that would happen if I take a one-year mini retirement or interim leave and it doesn't work out? Let's say that my plan for starting my own practice does not work out. What's the worst that happens? I go back to my old job or I go find another job. That's the worst thing that could happen. On the day that I left my old, old job about six years ago, I had a colleague who reached out to me on that day and he said, you know, I want to do what you're about to do. I just can't get myself to do it. And I said, well, why? What's holding you back? And this was a gentleman who was single. I don't even think that he had a mortgage. He was not married, no kids. So his financial responsibilities were so minimal. And I said, what's the downside of you taking this leap? And he says, I'm terrified of having the gap in my resume. Mm.
0: And
1: I said, the gap in your resume? Well, from my perspective, I said, well, who cares? (laughs) You take a year off or two years off or six months off, and then you go back and you get another job, What's the most remarkable thing to me, me personally, when I go out and I'm with a new client or prospective client, what's interesting is we live in a world where we're very Googleable, and I sit down and rather than have them say, you know, Carl, can you tell me about work that you've done in the past? Oftentimes they'll say, Carl, we'll get to the work that you've done in the past and what I need, but I want to hear about this retirement that you took. I Googled you. I saw your TED talk. I want to hear what you did. I want to hear about these stories. What did you learn? And so I'm thinking when this guy asked me about the gap in his resume, I said, you're going to get experiences and stories and connections and do things that most people do not have the ability and the good fortune of being able to do. So if you were to take six months off from your productive work to build your life and to build the future of your work, what's wrong with that? And he acknowledged the credence in that argument. And he said, It makes total sense. I just can't do it. To answer your question, I think that a huge part of it has to do with planning and planning for not just the ultimate retirement, but for these interim leaves of absence. But even more so than that, I think a lot of it just has to do with mindset and courage to say, it's okay for me to walk away, to plan for the future, to think about a life that might be different than the one that I have right now. And to take a little bit of time away. Mm -hmm. Uh, The worst that can happen is you have to go back and get another job.
0: Thinking realistically, for a lot of people, what they're thinking or what their plan would be is that for some, they have to get their finances in order first, right? So if they are in a lot of debt or they just have to prepare for this, right? Like they can't, to me, just pick up and go when they have a lot of obligations over their head. So I would say that in my plan, so how I talk to my juniors and how I, frame it is that this is a journey and you're at different stages. And in order to get to the next stage of being able to necessarily, maybe you're not retiring early forever, Mm -hmm. but you're just walking away from a job because you saved up enough money. Yes. But first, before you do that, let's pay off your debt, right? So it might take a couple of years for someone to work off up to doing that, to paying off their credit card and maybe selling a house that's too expensive for them to own and selling their car, whatever that means for them. Mm-hmm. I'm sure maybe when you took your leap, it said you said you did work for a few years to build up to it. Do you think that some people should have certain things done already before they take the first mini retirement? And then also, I wanted you to talk about how does one save for the mini retirement and then the ultimate retirement?
1: Yeah, I think that it would be perhaps careless to not really take an inventory of your financial picture and say what really needs to be in place for this thing to be a reality. If you have uh, sizable debts, if you have certain financial responsibilities or even family responsibilities, I mean, it's a big deal to go to your spouse and to say, honey, I know this might sound crazy, but I want to quit my job and travel around the world and start a business. If you're married, if you have children, if you have a mortgage, if you have car payments, if you have student debt, all these things do need to be examined. What I think is extremely important, however, is to recognize that there is never going to be an absolutely perfect time. The stars, you cannot just look up to them and say, oh, now they're perfectly aligned. There's this voice telling me that now I can do it. I think that your financial position and your responsibilities need to be good enough and things need to be lined good enough to be able to take that next step forward. And I think that surrounding yourself by people who are believers in you, whether that is family or friends, a supportive spouse, parents, other advisors and mentors, I think that it's really important to surround yourself by supportive people instead of naysayers. And remind me, Jamila, what was your second question?
0: How do you start saving for this interim break, mini-retirement versus the long-term retirement?
1: Yeah, Kind of along the same lines, if you have a lot of student debt, if you have credit card debt, if you have other liabilities that are on your personal books, I think it's important to take a look at those and to try to minimize them, if not eliminate them. You know, For me personally, this might go back to your discussion or uh, the perspective of the FIRE community. But I do believe that it's important to try to increase your income over time and to try to be responsible with your expenses. I was always fairly careful about my living expenses. I live in Chicago. I didn't have a car for probably about 10 years. I was renting an apartment for relatively low expenses. I wasn't taking extravagant vacations. I wasn't buying really expensive clothing. I guess I would say from the average person's perspective, I was probably relatively frugal. And I was further trying to accelerate not just my income, uh, but also my experience. The goal that I had when I took this interim leave or this interim retirement, I didn't necessarily want to have a plan B. I like the idea of having one just in case. But I did want to say that if I recalibrated and put together this business What would need to be the nut or what would need to be the amount of money that I would need to make in order to make this sustainable? If I needed to go back to work full time for another year or two or three or five, would I really be losing that much of my progress that I've already made? I was making a certain amount of money and I said, you know, if I were to go back, I had to go back. Would I miss a significant step and have to start over? Or would I be making a decent amount of money that I could continue to sustain my lifestyle? So I think that all these things are really important. Take an inventory of your life, of your financial position, uh, of your responsibilities and your relationships, and be really smart about trying to increase your income and live a frugal life or at least a um, reasonable life so that you are saving a fair amount of money.
0: Right. That's that's some good tips. And it actually kind of leads into – you have your blog, which I'll mm-hmm. link in the uh, – episode show notes, you had a blog post talking about the Mexican fisherman story. Mm-hmm. And I actually love that story too. And it's one of those, you know, it's a, an oldie, but goodie about framing how we view retirement or just our free time and success. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what the Mexican story is in case someone has not heard it yet, and you don't have to go through the everything, but just a genesis of it.
1: Yeah. The essence of the story is there's a fisherman in Mexico. You know, He's got a boat and he goes out and he fishes and he sells his fish. And there is a, a very well-to-do gentleman who comes by him and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm a fisherman. I go out and I fish and I sell my fish and it allows me to live my life. And the well-to-do man says, well, you know what you could do is you could sell your fish in the market and with the money, you could buy a brand new boat. And with the boat, you could go out and you could get more fish. And maybe if you got multiple boats, then you could take all these people out on these expeditions into the sea. And after 20 or 30 years of doing this, you'll have enough savings and money to do the things that you want in life. And the Mexican fisherman essentially says, well, I kind of already do that. And so with all of his free time that he currently has, he's able to enjoy himself and spend time with his family. But the well-to-do gentleman says, well, as a result of building this big business and making all this money, then you can afford yourself the time to, to do all the things that, quite frankly, you do now. And my perspective as my mini retirement or interim retirement relates to this is a lot of people, I think that probably, I, I don't want to be Uh, hugely uh, generalizing here. But I think that in the baby boomer generation, there was a lot of this attitude of, well, if I get my education and I go work for an employer and I go work there for a long time, they'll take good care of me. I'll build my skills and my experience, my money, my savings. Ultimately, I'll get to retirement. I'll have enough money to do the things that I wish I had had the time to do while I was working, but I was just too busy working and making money. And so people reach the age of, say, 65 or 70 and above, and then that's kind of the time to live out their bucket list. But the reality is that oftentimes when people get to that age, their health might not be good. Their spouse or their family's health might not be good. The savings might not have materialized. Other life circumstances may have gotten in the way that may not allow the bucket list retirement to come to fruition. Or if it did come to fruition, you It's maybe just not as fulfilling as it may have been when people were younger. So my perspective is if you can work, say, for five to eight years and accumulate some savings, take six months off to live out some of that bucket list when you're in your 20s or your 30s, enjoy it, recalibrate, refresh, go back to work for five to 10 years, make some more money, save some more, then take another interim retirement to enjoy the things that were maybe on that bucket list for when you wanted to retire. And do them when you're in your 30s and 40s and work for a little bit longer and then take some time off and do some of the bucket list items when you're in your 40s or 50s and continue to do this through life. I think it can be not only a very, very fulfilling life, but economically, financially, I think can put you in a very good position. Many of us are probably going to end up having to work well into our 70s and and maybe even beyond. And if that's the case, doesn't it make sense to enjoy some of the fruits of your labor that you expect to get in retirement when you're younger, when you can afford and have time to do it? And if you're not going to have the savings to have a 20- or 30-year-long retirement, say you're going to retire when you're 75, live to be 85, or retire when you're 80 and live to be 90 – well, doesn't it make sense to take some of those lost years and sprinkle them throughout our lives now?
0: Mm -hmm. And I think when you say taking those years and making something of it. So not waiting until 70 and 80. It doesn't mean that because you're taking these interim retirements, you're pushing your retirement date back. I think that might be the way some people might think like, well, if I'm taking these interim breaks and I'm not as able to bring enough income, then am I not pushing my retirement date back even further? And I'd say that the point, though, of these interim breaks is to like you said, broaden your skills, enjoy life where it might bring you actually more money and to your goals quicker. Right. So I like that because I think that while there is a benefit to maybe working a straight 15 years to reach an early retirement mark, there could be a way where you are taking the breaks Mm -hmm. over the 20 years and it's actually pushing you even faster towards your goals.
1: I think that I agree with you and I would rebut you just in a little bit. So one, I think to your point is if you are recalibrating and reinventing yourself, say every half dozen to dozen years, you become more marketable in real time. So you may have focused your career or studied something 20 years ago that you say, this skill set that I have right now or this software package or this industry that I've grown up in, it's really changing. And I don't know that my career prospects are as good as they once were. So if you take that interim retirement and you say, now I have the time to recalibrate and retrain, you're probably going to be more in demand. More valuable, you're going to be more directly tied into a market that needs you. And to your point, your retirement date won't get pushed back. But where I think I would rebut you for just a moment is recognizing that we are going to be living longer, recognizing that infectious disease largely is a lot of it's going away, heart disease and cancers and other chronic illnesses that plague our society now. I would speculate we're going to improve our health care and we're going to be living longer. Our knowledge about nutrition and lifestyle is going to improve. So I think collectively as a society, we're going to be living longer. If that's the case, I don't think that most people are going to be able to have a 30-year retirement the way that many of them do now. And so if they do have to work longer just because they can't sustain a 30-year retirement – doesn't that mean that you should live a much more fulfilling life personally and professionally earlier on and use that recalibration time for personal enjoyment, for professional development, and to position you for greater control over your future life?
0: Mm, I definitely agree with that. And it almost begs to think about what's your enough point? Because the fisherman in the story, he had an enough point. He didn't need to go past and beyond and create This empire that the businessman was thinking about to be happy. He knew that the simple things made him happy. So I would challenge anyone listening to think about really what it is that you're looking for, you're striving towards. Because one, you might have a lot of it today. And as you speak, you're not looking at it in that sense because you're thinking about the million dollars that you need to have and all these things. But what is it right now that you have simplistically that is making you happy? And then how can you then enjoy your journey? So, like you're saying, not working a million years before you enjoy what you already have, but realize it now and then think about ways in which you can just enjoy it a bit more.
1: Yeah, and I would encourage people, I know that this is a new way of thinking for uh, younger generations perhaps, and elder generations can certainly relate to it, even though it wasn't necessarily what they practiced. Recognizing the great things in life that you can enjoy and do fairly inexpensively When you travel, you don't have to travel to a resort on a Caribbean island and spend $10,000 on that vacation. You can go to an inexpensive part of the world and stay with locals or stay in hostels or guest houses for very inexpensively. Part of my interim retirement when I travel, I was, again, as I mentioned, I went to South America and Southeast Asia. I think I was in both areas for about six months And I think I maybe spent about $20,000 all in airfare, lodging, food, everything that I did over six months, which I don't think was very expensive, all things considered. I think if I had done the same thing in Chicago, it would have been more expensive. But for people who are looking to embark upon this kind of a philosophy, recognize what fulfillment you can get out of your life and out of your work that doesn't necessarily have to come from buying the things. That doesn't necessarily have to come from living in a super expensive house or condo or place. I sometimes say to people who are right out of college who want to move to Chicago or New York, I say, you know, you can really build your career exceptionally well in those cities because there's a lot of job opportunities. There's great markets there. But don't be afraid to move to a part of the country that's a little bit less expensive for a short period of time in order to save your money in order to make sure that your lifestyle is simple enough that you can accumulate a good amount of savings. I share with people that any decision that you make, I shouldn't say any, but but most decisions that you make are not permanent. If we're going to be living very long lives, spend a year or two doing something that is a little bit outside of the norm, that's going to add a tremendous amount of value later on in your life. And on the flip side, if you're not going to live a long life, isn't that even more reason to do the things that you enjoy and give you a much more valuable living experience.
0: That's a great way to frame all of this. And it kind of brings me back to something you had in your blog post talking about just education, that a lot of times we are in this current society, the way it's set up is we are training. Now our kids coming out into the real world to stick in jobs forever. And that's not realistic. And you had a blog post asking, does a college degree matter? So can you touch upon that? Because you introduced something new to me that I didn't know, but the Stanford d.school concept, which I actually really love. So can you talk about that a bit?
1: Yeah, sure. So when I graduated from college a long time ago, the things that I was learning, first of all, the professors, most of them had never actually had non-academic jobs. Uh, so I think that's one of the greatest ironies of academia is that a lot of the people who are Teaching the students who are going to enter the working world have never actually had non-academic jobs. And so I had professors who were teaching me the business curriculum that I was there to learn, but nothing about how to reinvent yourself throughout life and what happens when you want to change careers or change jobs or lean into a job opportunity that presents itself or to lean out of one that isn't going in the right direction or you're in maybe a toxic atmosphere. And so I just found it to be a little ironic that what we were being taught or educated in college was by people who had never been in our future shoes and weren't really grooming us for what our future reality was likely to look at. I also think it's a little bit crazy to expect somebody who's 18 years old, whether they leave grade school and into the workforce, or whether they choose to go on to secondary education. I think it's crazy for an 18-year-old to know at that point in his or her life what they want to do for the rest of their lives. I think that there's this huge amount of pressure that's put on 18-year-olds to say, okay, well, decide on what it is that you like to do, but also, perhaps more importantly, what's going to get you a job. And this might be what you do for the next 40 years of your life. And when I speak to university students, they say, yeah, it's crazy. You get us. The professors don't. <laughs> but I think that it's nuts to say we're going to spend all this money on tuition and all this time getting educated on something that, quite frankly, we're not sure about. What the Stanford study was, a number of years ago, Stanford students were asked, you know, if you could reinvent the university curriculum and structure, how would you recreate it? I don't think that it actually got any traction, but I thought the ideas were fascinating. And what you're probably alluding to, Jamila, is that one of the suggestions they made was that instead of going to college for four years, maybe you go for one year, and then you go to work for five. And then after five, you go back to college for your second year, and then you go work for a handful more years, and then you go back to school for your third year, and then you go back to work again. And then you come back and you go to school for your fourth year, your senior year. And by that time, I mean, you might be in your 40s by the time you complete college, but you're recalibrating every single step of the way. When I was in school, I got a four-year undergraduate education. And I looked back and I said, you know, I got a great education. I really enjoyed many of these classes to be quite frank, I don't think I needed to be here for four years. I probably could have just taken the classes I needed to get my first job, learned on the job, which if you talk to almost anybody who is older than a college student and you say, hey, what's the most important thing that you learned? Where did you learn it? I think most of them would not say college. Most of them would say, oh, everything I learned, I learned on the job. That's what was most important for me. So why not just give people enough education and skilling that they need to get the job, to learn on the job, whether they decide that they want to continue down that trajectory or to recalibrate, they can either stay or they can go back to school. But it creates this mentality of lifelong learning and lifelong reinvention. I think we are in a world now that is changing so much, so quickly, that to say that the four year education or the two year education you got when you were 18 is, quite frankly, I think ridiculous. That's why I encourage companies that I consult and advise with to invest very significantly in training and professional development. Rather than have these people go back to college, why not give them the education in their current job so that they can become more valuable and more engaged in what they're doing? So I think that these are important things for companies to think about as well as individuals about what they want their lives and their work lives to look like for decades to come.
0: Right. And it makes so much sense. When you hear this, you're like, this is the way it should be done. Because everyone knows that naturally, like you said, you learn mostly through the work you do. Everyone knows that, yes, it's hard for people to decide right away, okay, at 18, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Yet, this is the way it's done. And it seems like because it makes so sense, it won't be implemented because part of this is how the world works and what makes everything tick, right?
1: Yeah. And I also think that for many decades, I'm sure it will continue. I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime quickly. But I think that we are in a time of academic inflation where you might say, okay, well, if I'm going to hire one person and I have two to pick from, well, I'm going to pick this one person with all this education versus the person who doesn't have the education. You might say, okay, well, if I'm picking between somebody who went to a Big Ten school, which is where I went, and somebody who went to an Ivy League school, well, maybe I would just take the Ivy League person because they went to a better school with better professors. And I don't think that it's fair to say, well, let's just compare people's resumes and what their pedigree looks like. The classic example that certainly got a lot of credibility from Malcolm Gladwell was the 10000 hour rule. And Malcolm Gladwell was suggesting that somebody who practices something for 10,000 hours, which would essentially be a 2,000-hour work year times five years. So if you work somewhere for five years full-time, you're going to become an expert in what you do. Well, wouldn't you prefer to have somebody who's an expert and has the experience doing what they're doing rather than somebody who has a highly credible education from a certain school or with a certain degree? I would certainly want to hire somebody who's got a great deal of experience, who's got a great character and ethics and ability to do what it is I need them to do rather than say, oh, they've got all sorts of education. My hope is that as we proceed in our corporate world, people start to reward accomplishment and experience more than just simply academic credentials.
0: Right. And then while the corporations and society catches up to that, it's up to the individual, I believe, and like you're saying, to do it themselves. So, mm-hmm. yes, maybe the world is not supporting this idea yet, but I think it's bubbling up from the bottom where individually you get a lot of people who are bucking the system, who's disrupting what has been told to them and what they should do for the rest of their lives. You're doing it. I'm doing it. I'm teaching people how to do it. I'm sharing the concepts on my podcast because... This is a time where now you take your life into your own hands, right? You can't wait for society to figure out that it's an old way of doing things.
1: Right, absolutely. And I think that it's up to every person to figure out what are the traditional credentials that perhaps you were once expected to get that you can work around. If you're expected to get an education from a certain place with a certain degree, have a certain amount of money that you're making well somebody's always going to be better or further ahead than you are but what can you do to perhaps undermine that can you build your network can you build your skills can you build your experience can you enter a market that other people are not entering there are lots of people who don't have the traditional pedigrees who are killing it simply because they took advantage of those unique opportunities
0: Great point. Now, in terms of you, right? So, what's next? So, you took your first mini retirement a few years ago. Have you taken one since?
1: Well, it's an interesting question because sometimes people say, Are you still on your retirement? What was kind of the transition of getting back into the workforce from your retirement? And it's kind of strange for me to say, but part of me feels like I'm still kind of retired because the work that I do does not feel like work. And it's weird for me to say that because I've listened to interviews of successful C-level executives that everybody has heard of, and they say, you know, I do what I do because I love it, and my work doesn't feel like it's work. For me, my wife might say, no, you work all the time. But to me, I actually don't feel like it's work because I enjoy what I'm doing. As I shared before, I have twin boys. I have young twin boys. I have a condo. I have a wife. So I might have kind of the traditional lifestyle that a lot of people might look at. However, the way that I also look at life is in kind of the framework of a consultant. When you're a consultant, all it means is that you have a special skill set that can be used to solve somebody's problem. If you're a doctor, you're a medical consultant. If you're a plumber, you're a plumbing consultant. If you're a teacher, you're an educational consultant. All of these positions are just somebody who knows more than somebody else who can solve other people's problems. I've always looked at my career is that when I solve one person's problem or one company's problem, my duty to them is to move on. I'm not going to try to create make work to say, oh, well, I need to keep them around. So how can I just create more work to do with them? No, my responsibility is to be done with them and find somebody else or some other company that needs my services. But there's nothing to say that when one client or one project ends, the next one immediately begins. Why can't you take three months off between projects? Why can't you take six months, 12 months off between consultative projects? The reason that most people don't who are in W-2 jobs is there's continuity of lots of projects that are overlapping each other like spaghetti. But if you begin to look at your life as though it's a series of projects within a series of chapters, then you can identify where one chapter ends and the next one begins, and it doesn't have to be immediate. So to answer your question of, am I still in my retirement or not? I would say that I'm not in my retirement. But when the time comes where my boys are of age to be in school and taking summer vacation, and perhaps my wife has some flexibility in the work that she does, maybe I say, you know what? I'm not going to start my next project for another couple of months. I'm not going to take on any new projects or new training or speaking engagements for another two months. So I can create that gap in my calendar, retire temporarily, and either do that, use it for a vacation or recalibration or retooling and reskilling. Then start up the next project and it's back to work as it has been for the last five or six years.
0: Mm, Right. And I love the the framing of the chapters and realizing where you are in each one and being able to take that break when you want. And what I'm hearing through this whole conversation is something that I think, regardless whether you are going to start to try and do these mini retirements or you're thinking about the more traditional FIRE way of doing things where you're working for a longer period and setting up yourself to not have to work indefinitely. I think overall, the whole goal is to love what you do regardless, you know, where it integrates so seamlessly, which is what you've seemed to have gotten to. And then just the options and flexibility. Like we all yeah, just want I, that. That's the goal.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, when when people ask me the retirement question, they're like, you know, are you retired? Do you see yourself eventually retiring? You know, one day I hope to take the ultimate retirement But I don't see myself ever stopping my work. I really like what I do. And if I happen to make money because there are people who need my services, terrific. It just means I can get away with saving less. If I'm 75 and I have the physical and mental ability to still work at, say, 10, 20, 30 hours a week, why not if I enjoy it? And it takes a lot of the burden away from myself, my spouse the government, any retirement assets that I have to say, hey, I still have a little bit of income coming in. And it's all about enjoying what you do and hopefully making some good money along the way.
0: Right. Well, this conversation has been amazing. I'm sure my journeyers will love this. So where can they find out more about you?
1: They can come to my website, which is carlseidman.com. I'm also fairly active on LinkedIn and Facebook if people want to connect with me there. I get outreaches all the time just from people who are curious from seeing my TEDx talk, which you can obviously find. It's called uh, Why you Retired at 32. But I get people who are curious about how they can live perhaps a non-traditional, non-linear life, as well as companies and people at those companies who say want to kind of buck the traditional mold and get with this new time. It's the way that I live but I think it's the way that our world should be going. So certainly check me out on my website, uh, on social media, take a look at my TEDx talk if you're interested, and reach out if you have any questions. I'm happy to be there for you.
0: Right, and I'll be linking all of that in this episode show notes. So thanks so much once again, Carl.
1: Thank you so much, Jamila.
0: Okay, Journeyers, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carl. Again, if you want to check out him and just his work and go to carlseidman.com and you can find more information about any of the blog posts that I specifically reference in the show notes at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 54. And let me know what you thought of this. So do you think that many retirements are possible? Do you think that's something you can now work into your career and your life I really, really resonated with it because it kind of reminded me of the concept of the FU money strategy in the fire community where you're working and you're saving enough to get a pile of money, like FU money. So it's bigger than your emergency fund. This is something where you can take a break if you wanted to for a extended amount of time. Depends how much money you can save to be able to cover your expenses. But it's not a permanent early retirement. It is I'm taking a break. I'm gonna try something new. And so that really seems similar to me what he talked about versus having like a few money to be able to take a break. But I like the concept of taking breaks on and off, but then still working. So very interesting. So tell me or think about it yourself. How can you do this in your own life? Do you think it's possible? And just any feedback you have, just let me know, DM me, put it on social media at me at journey to launch. Don't forget, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at journey to launch. Don't forget to leave that review in Apple Podcasts in that purple app if that's where you're listening. I love and read every review and I appreciate it. And again, thanks so much for listening. There's still time to nominate me for the ninth annual Plus Award. so nominate Journey to Launch, the podcast the blog Me as something to be nominated to be acknowledged in this community. I'd appreciate it. So you can go to Journey to Launch. Dot com slash Plutus. That's P-L-U-T-U-S. So com slash Plutus to nominate me. It's funny because in my podcast last week, I said I had three categories I wanted you to nominate me for. Best, Fire, Blog, or Podcast, Podcast of the Year, and Community Builder. And I had someone in the Facebook group D, so D from the Facebook group said, when I posted, hey, guys, can you nominate me? I nominated you for 10 categories. <laughs> so I was like, wow, maybe I was thinking a little small here to be only saying to nominate me in three categories. So you know what, journeyers, when you go to journeytolaunch.com slash Plutus, nominate me for any category you see fit. <laughs> hey, you just never know. So I will thank you in advance for doing that for me. And it really means a lot. Don't forget to tune in for next week's episode. That's the one year anniversary episode. Woohoo! So that's going to be exciting. Tune in for that next week. Talk to you next week, Journeyers.